Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. We're back for day 13 of streaming in place. And today we are talking about the Lucifer season one finale. So Lucifer season one, episode 13, Take Me Back to Hell. And we're going to start, as we so often do, because I enjoy it, with Things that you guys were hoping would happen that immediately happened after you expressed your desire for them to happen. And I think the most important starting point is Amenadiel's office. Obviously, like when I look at this finale, what should we talk about? Amenadiel's office and that tropical must candle. So uh, who wants to go first? I do. Yeah, no, Allison needs to go first. Uh, a triumph of production design, although I really just want all of us to be able to feel smug, not you, Kate, you'd seen it, mm-hmm. but I want Noel and I to be able to feel smug because it does, in fact, look like he took a page directly out of an Ikea catalog and applied it in his office. It is totally devoid of personality. It is very clear that no one has ever worked there. It's, uh, ridiculous. Not one, like, bad piece of artwork not one like nothing all of it just it could not be more bland it made me laugh a lot and the candle was the best thing the candle felt like the only actual trace of anything resembling a personality and it couldn't be more square um it just it was perfect it was everything i wanted it to be i only wish we had stayed there longer um which obviously the 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 jig is up as they say so uh we won't be back there i i suspect but it was but it was good while it lasted Noel, what was your response <laughs> my response was all the dead plants in his office <laughs> just all those dead plants that he is not caring for in any way shape or form and that for me was like the real thing of this is a man who does not care about any well this is a celestial being that does not care about this front that they have put up and i think that that's just delightful but i do i do agree that the candle just is such an off kilter type of choice of i'm going to make this one concession i've read about this in a magazine or it was an impulse buy at the ikea store i don't know that ikea sells candles let alone tropical musk um, which I don't know what that smell is. <laughs> maybe it was at the mall while he was shopping for human clothes. Right. Maybe. Yeah. I can see that. As or, J. Crew and like there was a Yankee, Yankee candle. candle company. Yeah. Or, you know, where he got all the candles for his apartment because there were so many candles in his apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the office was probably my favorite part <laughs> about this. It just, it gave me a lot of life. Yeah. yeah. He's not uh, what we would call a nurturer <laughs> at this point. So those plants, it's a, it's a, it's a good it's a good call there. I mean, just everything about the Lucifer and Amenadiel dynamic in this episode was really fun for me. Uh, starting, you know, of course, from a place of tremendous angst and then going to that scene and then going to like just the straight up comedy with Dr. Linda and back to in the bickering. It's just delightful. And then to where, you know, like Amenadiel goes on a journey through this episode. Uh, Marcus says, I get the feeling he doesn't know he has to water plants. See, exactly. That's, I agree. That feels, that feels right for him. That, that yeah. Feel it's like, right. It's like, why are they dying? This is like, well, you need to water them? I I wonder if maybe he thinks like, oh, well, you know, I'll just breathe on them later and they'll come back to life. Like, and the divine breath of an angel restores them to lush greenery. He does that once every three weeks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what everyone does, right? That's just like what you do. And then they die. And then you're like, <laughs> right? That's just, yeah. Um, the But the notion of like careful maintenance 
every day. Like this is not a um, Sergeant Nicholas Angel type. <laughs> this is not where he's at right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really enjoyed like the the shifting energy of the Lucifer and Amenadiel dynamic and what we what we get in this episode. It was super. It was one of the highlights for me. What, what you know, Noel? How about you? I agree. I think it was sort of what was carrying me through a lot of the episode was the interplay between the two of them. It was really fun. It felt really lived in, despite the fact that they've sort of been at each other's throats all season in varying degrees of plotting, scheming against mean things being said about one another. But I think that the way in which Lucifer and Aminadale fall into a really easy camaraderie speaks to the millennia of like in the trench type stuff or however angels form bonds, I guess Um, that I just feels very sort of lived in and delightful. And I, so I really enjoyed that, like their whole like stand down with all of those, um, all of those goons basically in the brewery slash packaging warehouse um that they face off against and just the yeah just the ease at which they just kind of fall into those rhythms i think is really really good and speaks well i think for what they can potentially do with that relationship starting next season let alone with the thing that we get revealed about at the end of the episode Mm -hmm. i remember when i first watched it I was like confused, like why does Lucifer know hand to hand combat? This seems it was like, oh wait, led a war against heaven. Like, of course yeah. he knows how to fight. Like, uh, just for, I was like, this feels like it's very convenient, just so we can get his action shot. I was like, no, it's obvious. Like, dumb. Okay, we're good. We're good. <laughs> uh, Allison, any thoughts on the minute deal? Um, I agree that I I liked a lot of. I mean, for me, the highlight of the episode minus the office was um, the office and the tease at the end, which I'm very into and can't wait to talk about. Um, Their dynamic was my favorite part. The best was the sight gag of them sitting way too close to each other on Dr. Linda's couch. That was like (laughs) primo. Um, But I was... I'm much more interested in that relationship than I was even five or six episodes ago when it got interesting in the first place. And I think um, that fight is a really great example of what I'm enjoying so much about this show, where they're taking tropes that are really recognizable and familiar and just sort of freshening them up by making it a little bit, um, well, certainly a little bit irreverent, but also kind of, I don't know, visceral oh god they went there in a way i wouldn't expect from a network show um so the tonal line is super interesting to me like very strong powerful being gets bonked on the head by some uh like piddling little human who thinks he's going to be able to do damage and then cracks his neck and slowly turns around is uh, like a classic it's a chestnut Uh, but it works here really well because the character in question is a relatively humorless angel um (laughs) so to see him go like kind of term Terminator, Thor, Hulk for a moment was really fun and refreshing. And um, and I was pretty into all of that stuff. Yeah, that fight scene also is super the whooshing fun. away. Yeah. Every time they just vanished, that was great. <laughs> oh, poor Dan. <laughs> it's like, uh, but no, but you're gonna 
like reeling from the whammy and be like, but but we're okay, you're going into the cell though, and then she's like, Bye. I love the description of let's not tell anyone that you carried me in your arms like a baby. Because <laughs> that's just the visual of that. Like, you know, there are so many fan arts just like immediately drawn. Like, pause the episode. I must sketch this <laughs> after that line of dialogue. Uh, super fun. Um, before we get two into case of the week and Malcolm Palmetto and all of that, which we will get into. Um, I, I, I would like to take a moment for Dr. Linda because you mentioned Elson, the sight gag of them just like their and like the posture and their demeanors, I think is really fun. Uh, the, the, uh, the principal's office energy of that scene was absolutely delightful and I'm very here for it. And I texted you, Elson, as you were watching this scene uh, roughly when you're watching the scene, just like kayak, right? This is such a Dr. Okopian, like, yeah. kayak thing. <laughs> Keenan says, Dr. Linda is my queen. And yes, she's amazing. Yeah. I'm quite a fan. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was, the reason that Kate and I were texting while I was watching is because I, the second they went to his office, I just texted the words, his office. Um, I giggled. And then was there for poor, frustrated Dr. Linda and her big Dr. Copian moment. I appreciate that she, despite the fact that she is um, over it, I think is safe to say, like really over it, is still doing her best to help and engage, um, Where, I, which I'm not sure I would be able to do. Like it would have been like, oh, okay, so your brother uh, set got a whole office next to mine for the express purpose of spying on you. I think I'm done. I'm going to refer you to my colleague, I don't know, X, Y, and Z supernatural being, uh, because I wouldn't be able to take it. So I think it's very uh, endearing. Maybe that's not the right word. Admirable. It makes me like the character that much more that she's still willing to try to help um, this giant pain in the ass and his pain in the ass brother. I think it really though puts into context some of the other things that he's been saying that she is likely taking with a grain of salt because of like the air quotes metaphor that he's using. Um, when, when it goes like, wait, so wait, you're his brother and you rented an entire office and did this like weeks long, months long, like ruse to get me to violate my, my ethics as like all of this. And it's like, yeah. And she's like, okay, I need to recontextualize everything Lucifer has said about his family, because even without her knowing the supernatural, she's like, okay, uh, maybe <laughs> there's a reason that he's using something of this scale as a metaphor, because clearly his family <laughs> has major issues and money's no object. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Noel, did you have any thoughts on, on Dr. Linda? No, I think it, I think everything that the two of you have said is really spot on. I think that it really does make you like Linda and appreciate Linda more in how she's sort of, again, both befuddled, but I think also just oddly fascinated by this and still wants to help. Because now, like, the delusion is spreading almost in a lot of ways, or it's, like, embedded within their relationship. And on the one hand... It's really easy to turn Linda or any sort of psychiatric character into a Chilton-esque character in this moment of, I have things that can make my name. I have things that could get me famous and, like, I can get my own talk show based on just writing a paper on the two of them. And (laughs) that's not what happens here. Instead, it's a very much a, "I'm, I'm confused that you're both doing this, but at the same time, you both clearly need a lot of help. 
and I and she feels responsible in that way of as a mental health professional to provide that help in some way, shape, or form, even if they j- don't listen to her and go and beat up people immediately after leaving her office. So I think that there's I think that it just it does indeed make you really like Linda more and appreciate like that kind of dedication, that kind of positive representation of a mental health professional uh, that Allison has been really good at identifying all season. Why, thanks. The fact that they just blatantly say, you know, the have her talk about you keep tiptoeing to something useful and then going completely off like the opposite direction with it. They, you know, instead of just leaving that as a running gag, it feels like what they're doing in this episode is some. I mean, obviously, it's putting it's lampshading it, but it's also will hopefully and I'm I don't remember the specifics. It's been too long since I watched it, but be a pivot point in these scenes because drawing that directive attention to these issues to his deflections then hopefully will lead to a new like you can after you've done that after you've explicitly said here's what you do and it is annoying and you need to stop doing it i don't know how often you can go back to that well in the moment you can it's delightful and very fun but i feel like that's going to shift the dynamic with them a bit moving forward um and that's just based on thought process i don't remember specific scenes so that's that, that's not a spoiler or anything but yeah i i, I enjoyed that moment also shout out to rachel harris because her delivery of yep <laughs> at the end very good and and she really gives some some heart and pathos to the betrayal of amenadiel and what you know and like i so i thought that there was enough substance there for that as well so i really enjoyed it uh let's talk about maze and check feather had you guys forgotten about check feather a little bit but yeah <laughs> expected to come back quite so soon Mm. um yeah i don't know i i feel like i should have thought that that was cooler than it was but i don't know i was just kind of like oh okay well that's useful that getting rid of that feathers okay great bye feather (laughs) yeah i kind of felt the same thing i turned to my partner when they did it. I just went, D.B. Woodside signed a six-season contract, so <laughs> what did we think was going to happen here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how many seasons he signed on for, but that's the that's the thing. It's just like, we like D.B. Woodside. He's not leaving. Amenadiel's too important to the overall mythology. The show's not ambitious enough to just kill off a main character in the season finale. And so it's like, well, he's healed. But my thing was that it even healed and dry cleaned the t-shirt. <laughs> or maybe there's another shirt. Come on. You know, like there could be a second. And he's the same. He's the guy to buy like five of the same shirt. Right. But he was still in like the what he was still in um, Lucifer's like apartment condo thing. So did he just have a t-shirt in a minute deal size it's just in case? Is he that good of a host? <laughs> yeah, I had to. I, I I'll admit I wasn't paying. That Maze is just attention. good at what she does. Yeah, Maze Tanya. is just very good. Yeah, the, Marcus is the 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 real angel magic. Tanya Maze is just good at what she does. She <laughs> is very good. Um, for me, and I was I made a point to not mention the feather Chekhov's feather in the past several episodes as we've recorded. I was I, like. I thought the show did a good job of not including it in the previously ons. Well, I mean, I don't think they did. I've been skipping those, but um, <laughs> the like the recaps, but um, but not referencing it elsewhere so that hopefully at this point you had forgotten it. Because like for me, okay, if he dies, what if for some reason he he dies and goes to hell? 
and then now he's in it. Like, I, I felt like there were other ways that they could go with that story without getting rid of uh, the actor. And so without getting rid of the character or the actor. Um, so while, I mean, it sounds like it worked better for me than it did for you guys. Um, I thought that they did a good job of, of waiting for, like, of timing out that feather. Um, I will say that I don't think they are as consistent over the, with, like, the power, the impact of that feather versus... Um, things that come later, it feels a little disproportionate, but I think in the moment that works, you know, pretty nicely. The, um, it's quite, because like, if that's what a feather does, just like be like, amenadiel, pop your wings, pluck, right? Um, but yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't go back to the well with this, you know, later on in the show. Uh, did you guys buy Maze in that scene? How, how are you feeling about Maze right now? I think that Maze is doing okay. I think that they've done, an okayish job of through Amina deals and speci- specifically her relationship with him, the, the ways in which she's sort of that, that sense of humanity is sort of influencing her behavior here. And so that idea of like sacrificing the feather, which she thought maybe would have been a way to um, get back, which I don't know how that works. And I'm really curious about like the logistics of that. Um, but that's also just, trees for the forest um that i think that that is um the it's an okay way of displaying that and i think that it works well enough i just kind of wish there had been like a solid maze episode here to sort of really drive that home and i get they have like much bigger fish to fry and that they really want to do the palmetto stuff they really want to really establish lucifer and chloe so i understand that but it also feels like definitely something that they need to really sort of focus on in season two is this burgeoning sense of, oh, I have feelings. Feelings are weird from May's starting in season two. Yeah, I am. I guess I'm just way more interested in May's tries to make friends than May's caught the feels. Um, And I guess beyond that, I'm, I'm more interested in the idea of her reluctance to embrace humanity when she doesn't, she isn't really being given a choice um, based on mm-hmm. Lucifer's choices. And now obviously the, the circumstances concerning Lucifer's time on earth have changed, but her circumstances haven't really changed and that she's still not really in a position to leave if she wants to. Um, and she is much more grudgingly embraced what it means to live like a mortal. Um, So, you know, I wasn't surprised by her choice because it was pretty telegraphed that that's where they were going, uh, especially in the previous episode. Um, But I'm still interested in what's going on with the character for that reason. Mostly though, I just want her, I just want to see her at a wine bar with Dr. Linda or hanging out in a park with Trixie, like let them feed the ducks um like really they can go for cake they could go for tea at the american girl store i'm open to suggestions can you imagine yes. the maze specified american girl like <laughs> knives good. yeah knives an Marcus- american girl doll with a leather mini top or crop mm-hmm. top yeah, yeah. Be great yeah marcus says maze with mortal friends is the best and yeah cosign i agree yeah (laughs) maze plus mortals is much more interesting than maze plus others other people um okay let's talk about uh yeah malcolm palmetto so the end of the palmetto case 
Because he did. Lies. So. You're lying. You're lying. There's some other layer for season two <laughs> that we're just, that whoever escaped from hell is the real mastermind behind Palmetto. And we're just <laughs> going to keep peeling back those layers. I'm onto your games, Kolzik. <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me Limitless is back. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, like, I've been rewatching some Limitless. And damn, that show is good from, like, the first, like, first episode is solid. But by the second episode, it's already so good. Ah makes me angry okay but that's a different conversation for a different time um okay so now that you guys have seen the entirety of the malcolm palmetto thing i'll i'll expound a bit on what i was saying yesterday so for me the uh, marcus is i think palmetto is the gym they both they use both in palmetto and at palmetto in this episode yes but you we're just gonna keep calling it malcolm palmetto because it's funnier yeah. it's a bit now it's it's locked in and there's nancy drew um okay being distracted by adorable kitties <laughs> Okay, we're good. Um, so <laughs> for me, I think that the the way that they arced him from back to back and threatening to back threatening and very unstable, trying to connect with Lucifer right off the bat, which he is, and um, then go like the way they, they escalate that in these episodes really works for me and w- where we end with him. Um, I liked the, the stuff with his wife in this episode and um, like the, the idea that in the burning, the bubbling in the background, which we haven't been checking in with is uh, like an escalation and a desperation of that he's driven by fear more than anything else that he, he can't fix this hole um, that's in him. Uh and Mays talking. I like the the line they gave Mays about it, where it's like, "Oh, I've seen this before," implying that it's not everyone that has this reaction, but it's not an uncommon reaction to to his experiences. For me, it really worked, and I think that like by the time he's you know wandering around the hangar, just being a like a slasher villain, I think it for me it really works. Uh, even though it is very over the top, it is ridiculous, but to get us to He's gonna kidnap Trixie and would be perfectly fine uh killing her uh or, or allowing her to get hurt uh, and very happy to kill Chloe. I feel like you needed an escalation. I, th- I feel and for me this worked. Uh Tanya says, How many years have you been in hell again? We he said he just said years, I believe. Um, so a while. Yeah, it was like 30 seconds. So yeah, in real time, but of, yeah, yeah, time works differently. Thereof. Yeah, yeah. So that's me. So I'm going to throw it to Noel because you were the the least on board previously. So did this lack anything in place for you or just, nope, same issues? No, basically the same issues yeah. um, that I just, it's good that they cast Kevin Rankin to play Malcolm because without, I think, his just weird bonkers dedication, I don't think that it would work even the little bit it does work for me. And I, again, it just goes down to Rankin's performance for me that I'm sort of still sort of engaged by it. But I just I just could not care. He's The character is just kind of whatever the show needs him to be in this last little run to get to where they want to go with everything else. And that's just... I find that really frustrating. Um, so I'm just kind of like, oh, whatever. But Rankin's really good. Um, when they have um, Heather Tom, who plays Mel, his wife, show up, and just t- kind of talking about like this sort of weird lust for life, that this insatiability, I think, is really, really interesting. And I think that that's sort of been the only good through line about Malcolm. 
all the way through um, to the point where I was I'm distracted when I he's on screen and he's not eating anything. It's weird and it bugs me out <laughs> when he's not eating something. Like I expected him to have Trixie at gunpoint while eating a sandwich, like he's Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven, and it just wasn't happening. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's. He's whatever the show needs him to be in any given moment in any given episode. And that's fine. We're done. I'm ready to move on and I'm happy to move on. But I'm going to miss Kevin Rankin's just weird energy of, I don't belong in this show, except I do because I'm just driving the show to accept me through sheer force of will, which I really like. But it is very much a performance that almost doesn't fit anymore on the show. But I just kind of don't care after a certain point so that's where i was it's just like yeah it's done i'm ready to move on allison how did you feel Uh, it's funny that you say the thing about the food because what i was connecting it with was um it's nowhere near as big both in terms of what the story is doing and the performance which is really saying something because it's a big performance but uh it reminded me a lot of um uh, John Sims return as the master when um, they, when Russell T Davies did that whole thing, sorry, in Dr. Who, for those of you who are not Dr. Who fans, um, when Russell T Davies had him doing that whole thing where he's like hot, wet meat, wet meat, hot, fresh meat. Um, and in, th- in those episodes, I always was very engaged by what he was doing and interested in the ideas behind it and bored by the mess that surrounded it and or confused by what was actually going on. And that's pretty much the response that I've had here. Only there's no, the doctor turns into Dobby and there's no Barack Obama suddenly as John Sims face and all of that stuff. I think I might be confusing my finales there, but the point sticks. Anyway, um, I, uh, I'm also glad that it's done. I will miss that performance. I do think that it fits because I think um, if there's one sort of defining characteristic of this show so, so far for me, it's that tonal balance, that weirdness and being able to tell a story about a Catholic priest and make a joke about pedophilia and somehow it works. And yet the show has a lot of compassion for basically everybody involved, except for people who are acting purely through selfishness and evil. Right. Um, It's, it walks a really fine line. And I think that Kevin Rankin did a great job of that. And even when I was like, what the, wait, what the hell? Okay. So what's his allegiance like what is he trying to accomplish i have no why is his desire to kill lucifer is this like a revenge thing he wasn't even in hell at the time like what and then i would just sort of stop caring because i was having a good time watching him but to be honest i checked out of this storyline like four episodes ago so it was pretty easy for me to just engage with that and i think for the most part all of the performances in that piece of the storyline including Chloe and Lucifer and Trixie were all pretty great. So it was easy to just kind of appreciate it for what it was and be glad that it's done. Were you guys surprised when he shot Lucifer? Cause I was surprised the first time I watched it. No, no, yeah. no. I felt like, um, when we started watching the episode, my partner was like, okay, so he's definitely going to get shot because Chloe's around. Right. I was like, well, probably. that's what my dad said too. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> like, so then, and then it didn't happen. I was like, huh, or maybe, you know, there's this breach of trust. So he'll be bulletproof again. I don't know. Um, but the second he was like, I'm going to let her go by yourself. Wink, wink. Um, I figured that is where we were heading. What I wasn't expecting is what happened. First of all, was not expecting him to die. However, briefly, um, did not expect it to be quite so visceral. It was really upsetting the pool of blood and the blood in his mouth and the sound Ellis was really great yeah the sounds in his eyes all really really good um and then obviously seeing him in hell walking toward that broken door all of that was really cool and uh um very much enjoyed the resolution of a storyline that i did not care for well, it's also very like, oh, that's why you left. It sucks there. <laughs> it really does seem like it sucks there. Yeah. Tanya says, great death scene. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Noel, how did that work for you? I do think the death scene works really, really well. I think that the way that in which there is that visceralness that you've both mentioned, and then there's just the way that they just refuse to, I think, glamorize it in any way, shape, or form, even though it's still like very aesthetically pleasing in that it's like, darkly shot the pool of bloods borderline crimson black i think that there's just a lot of really neat sort of aesthetic things there and then to go from that very kind of crisp clarity that they have with him on the floor in various sorts of shots whether it's that wide shot of almost his entire body in the pool of blood to the medium shot of just his face um and neck to i think a couple of close-ups of his face Then to shift from all that clarity and starkness to the kind of fuzzy, handheldy, dreamscape sort of approach of hell to hide both the fact that this is really just one very small set (laughs) that we have made here. Um, But we can hide it all through like post-production and in-camera stuff, which I think works really, really well, that it just provides a really good juxtaposition of that loss of mortality and then that disorientation of immediately being in the afterlife and being in a point in the afterlife where while Lucifer knows where he is, he's confused as to why he's not in his door, basically. And I really like that as a kind of an approach to really sort of offset everything that he thought was going to happen and then he's able enough to identify who got out um and i think that's also really really interesting so i think that there's just a lot of really good ways in which they play that scene the that combo of scenes i should say that i just worked really really well for me speaking of sets can i add something about the the hanger (laughs) Uh uh-huh what i want to somebody write this oral history i want to know how airplane hangers became such a common setting for nefarious crimes and dates on the bachelor. Like why, (laughs) like why those two things? Why do it's, you know, it's not like just an abandoned where like, it's very specifically an airplane hanger. Why? And who is in bit like what location scout has a deal with somebody who owns a bunch of airplane hangers is like i've got a great idea for this final scene i know you said it's supposed to take place in a dark alley but hear me out what if instead there's just a private jet in the background what do you think it's also where they had a date for the bachelor last week so they'll be you appealing to bachelor fans i don't understand it at all I mean, like, it looked cool, but why? Like, what about, is it, is the implication that he's just going to get on a jet and go away? I guess so. But there's no pilot there. 
Does no, he fly planes? He doesn't fly planes. Like there's no. Surely way. he does not fly. He's as we've he established. He's a dunce. He's a dunce. He does not fly planes. So was he just going to drive? Like he's going to get in the plane and then he's going to go on the highway and drive <laughs> the plane until it takes. Well, I don't understand it, but it, um, it looked cool, which I guess is probably the actual thing. Yeah, yeah, that is the answer. Um, no, I think that the answer very much is it looks cool. I think that's that's the answer. And it provides like a break from that whole warehouse with a bunch of plastic scaffolding and like those kinds of things. And you can just do something that looks a little shinier and a little sleeker. Um, but I also feel like most, especially like on shows that shoot in Vancouver, uh, when they do the air airplane hangar it's at night so they're probably getting it for a little bit cheaper than maybe like wherever downtown is uh, or where whatever alley or warehouse set they were going to use because that place just maybe sits idle during the night because how many people are necessarily flying private jets in during the night um i don't know i'm not rich enough to have a private jet please correct me in the chat if you know and then you can out yourself as a one percenter um <laughs> And then you can sponsor this podcast. Right, exactly. And then you can start paying us. Um, <laughs> and I think that's just what it is. I My larger question was, there was just so much stuff in this hangar. And I didn't know what all of it was. And I was just very confused. And it was a, another day in which I watched like a big shootout in a cool space because I were watching Giri Haji this week for the podcast. And there's this big shootout in what looks like like a wine store, but I think there were also like computer servers in it. And I was very confused about what was happening in that sequence, but it looked cool. So I didn't complain that much to myself. So I think, yeah, it's just the rule of cool, but it's still silly because there's no pilot. (laughs) (laughs) No. And there are two other things. Cause of course, then that allows them to do the paper airplane with like little Lucifer drawing on it. Which is funny. Um, and then also the when they were doing this scene, I was like, okay, Trixie's going to go hide. And she does because she's awesome. Um, what? Where is she hiding? What is in this? Like, it's all, it's a big room. That's what a hangar is. It's a big room. She found a box of airplane peanuts and is hiding inside it. Just like just peanut, little tiny packages of foil wrapped peanuts. Or I guess they don't do peanuts anymore. So animal crackers or something. Or like. Oh, um, good cookies. That cookies. Yeah, yeah, something like that. She's she's in there holding very still because when she moves, it rustles. It rustles. Well, but and then and we see Chloe hiding too, and I'm like, what are you hiding behind? What is this, and why is it here? It doesn't make any sense. But I go stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so stuff. let's talk briefly about Trixie because y'all know I heart Trixie. She's the best. Um, I I like that they gave her just like a little bit of care. Most of she's there. She's there to be a, a hostage. But I like that they go like. I don't like you. I like that they gave her some like little bit of bits of character beats. And that also that she clearly appreciates the stakes of the situation. And she knows when to mess around and when to just go hide and be traumatized later. Um, so good, good use of your, of your kid hostage show. Uh, any thoughts on Trixie? Pro Trixie. I'm pro Trixie. Um, I, you know what? I appreciate that. First of all, it's always great when there's a kid on a show and they put in the work to make them an actual character instead of a plot device because I was way more distressed by the thought that Malcolm Palmetto had had Trixie than I would be if they hadn't put the work in if she just had a kid and we knew she had a kid and they hadn't done anything about it um and I think it was also an interesting wrinkle for Lucifer because you could sort of see like 
yeah, he does not like or understand children, but at the same time, he also finds that very distressing. So I thought that that was cool. Um, mostly, you know, I just, I pity any kidnapper who has to deal with her negotiating tactics. Because yeah, no kidding. She knows, she knows what she's about. She also strikes me as a hostage who knows when to just be really quiet and when to start biting and run away. Uh, yeah. So I appreciate that. Noel, you were saying? Well, mostly I, I'm only glad that Maze didn't know because I think that she would have just killed Malcolm immediately. Oh, yeah. For abducting her best friend. <laughs> yeah. Her yeah. longest friend other than her, Lucifer. Her longest friend. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, how about Chloe? I thought, I mean, again, we don't talk about Chloe that much, but I really do think Lauren German does a really good job in what is usually the thankless, like straight per, you know, straight woman, straight man role. Um, and I think she's, I think she's good here. Yeah. I think she's great. Um, I think it, honestly, it's kind of a testament to how well she's doing that we don't talk about her very much because, you know, she's doing exactly what she needs to do. And she's our sort of gateway into all of this, um, even though she's a mystery to Lucifer. Um, I think the finale did a good job of establishing how much their relationship has shifted since the premiere. Like, and I really buy that transformation. I buy that they mean that much to each other. Um, so yeah, I think she is great and i think in particular she was very very good uh with all of the kidnapping stuff um basically from the time she got that phone call onward even just like the little glances around the police department trying to figure out who he had on the inside uh which does that come back um probably not huh not specifically well there's a dirty cop somewhere malcolm palmetto does i will say malcolm palmetto and specific connections to malcolm palmetto do not come back Okay, well, they should figure out who's the dirty cop, and probably lots of them, um, because that seems like a thing you'd want to know. Which cop is cool with kidnapping a child? Probably important information. Um, but I think she was great in all of those sequences. Uh, SB says the tension she brought post-phone call walking through the station was chef's kiss. And yeah, yeah I yeah. agree. Yeah. Like, and, and, and her like playing it off, oh, it's all fine, and like with, with like... So much tension that that you immediately buy Lucifer knowing something is up. For an instance in which they're not going to give us like any information about who's involved because it's beside the point. I really appreciated how they did that like pull or zoom out so we see her against this very busy police office bullpen sort of area. And then doing like a slow-mo, semi-slow-mo walk through that area of like looking around as you've both talked about and... The ways in which they kind of do a good job of capturing that paranoia slash isolation within that sequence, I think is really well done. Well, and they also time it to make sure that this, of course, has to happen after Dan the Douche has turned himself in. Right. Uh, thoughts on Dan? Surprised? Not surprised? Not surprised, because this is where we've been heading sort of like all season is like we finally get our redemptive moment in the finale because we couldn't get it earlier because people wouldn't talk to one another um but we get it here when everything's on the line and so i think it's fine i think it's good i'm curious to see how this gets cleared up and but mainly like the effects that this has on sort of his standing within the police department and specifically like he has an office and i'm very curious if he still has an office by the time season two starts yeah i am um... I, ugh. I think 
the missteps with that character all have to do, as Noel said, with sort of the pacing. And we this couldn't happen earlier because they couldn't talk to each other. And so that's all of that stuff. Um, and I agree. Uh, I feel like we're meant to fill in the blanks and assume that he didn't do this before because he was selfishly protecting his career and his relationship. Um, so he wasn't doing the right thing. Uh, but there was basically no point after he decided that he wasn't going to let Malcolm Palmetto kill Lucifer in which I didn't believe that he knew that the stuff that he was doing was wrong. Um, so he should have done it then. And I do not buy that he didn't do it then. So I was just kind of like, okay, great. So this scene should have happened four episodes ago, or there should have been more conflict in him. Um, instead of just being a good person who inexplicably hasn't done the thing they're obviously going to do yet. Um, it was that said it was a good scene. Um, he did a good job. So I don't know. I'm curious what happens moving forward. Okay. Whether he's in prison or like what comes next for that character. I'm curious about phase two. Assuming he's still in it. I have not checked IMDb. Yeah. And I'm I'm mostly curious about also what he's going to do about Lucifer and Menadiel, considering that they Batmaned him in terms of just disappearing out of his <laughs> office. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Good times. Um, okay, well, I, th- I feel like the last thing we have to talk about is that ending and our last word of the season. And... Are you guys appropriately teased? Are you excited for what that might mean? Yes. I'm teased. <laughs> Fully teased. No. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in it and mainly because from like a scholastic biblical standpoint, I I'm not quite sure who this person is or if they're like kind of making this character a pull cloth for the series. So that for me is like a weird weird sort of like interest of from like a mythos standpoint. Uh, but I am teased, I'm interested, and I'm excited to have sort of a overarching case that's about the Celestials, as opposed to weird shootouts in a gym. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I, uh, I'm i very excited for the next, for what that means for the next chunk. And um, do we have any... Final thoughts on the season or the episode or things we are now hoping for, excited for in season two that we want to mention. I'm excited about season two because it feels like this, like the soup is done now. Like I understand better what the show is trying to do. And I think the show understands what it's trying to do better. So um, I'm very excited to see with a break and some time to reflect what the writers are going to do moving forward. Uh, And I just, I'm ready for Trisha Helfer. Like, bring me the mm-hmm. Trisha Helfer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I think that the, I, I'm not sure that the soup is entirely done, but it's about as close to being done as I think that we're going to get right now. And I'm I'm willing to also like give them a little bit more room to keep seasoning to carry this metaphor forward um, into season two a little bit basically um so yeah but the bad news is that we're going to talk about a whole other show no i'm just kidding we i just <laughs> assume we're doing this for season two um but i think that that's sort of like i'm interested i'm intrigued um but i also feel like we should just do a whole other show to annoy latoya so that she'll just start yelling at us again <laughs> well that is a uh, maybe that's a conversation we have tomorrow about yeah. that no, 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 i'll we'll have just to kidding. hashtag get stumped <laughs> um 
Or damages. That's the other Latoya show of the moment. We'll have to switch to damages. Get possessed, right? Hashtag get possessed. Yeah. Evil. Um, okay. Well, I would normally then throw it out to our listeners, but that's what we're going to do tomorrow. So never mind. We'll be back here tomorrow at our usual time to talk about, uh, to do a season one wrap up. And I can't wait to hear what everybody who's been hanging out with us in Zoom thinks about the season and, and the finale and all these other things. We will attempt to keep it spoiler free. Um, and, uh, and only talk about season one. Tanya wants to know what's happening tomorrow. Well, Tanya, what's happening tomorrow is those of y'all who've been hanging out in the Zoom, uh, are welcome to come hang out with us and we're going to unmute you and, un- and you can, you can talk and you can give your thoughts and we'll chat about everything. So hopefully that sounds fun. And if not, that's cool. You can hang out and keep it muted and just listen to, to listen to us talk about the season. But yeah. Looking forward to it, guys. Uh, but that's going to wrap up today's episode of Streaming in Place. And uh, <laughs> Tanya says they're out of PJs. You have to decide, get, get your most Lucifer look. I don't really ha- have any set, hence. Ooh, you know. I could. I don't have a leather crop top, but maybe I'll maybe I'll wear something, I don't know, luxish, club luxish. Allison, I feel like going out to get a leather crop top is an essential <laughs> yeah. An Although you know what? Reason to leave the house. I should have done that. I'm wearing my Katya, Katya t-shirt today, um, which feels kind of Luciferish. I should have saved this. She's got wings and everything. Is that wings or is that yeah, devil wings? Should have yeah. saved it for tomorrow. You can just wear it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Come on, it's uh right now. I think we're all you know leaving some extra space for each other, but. Uh, <laughs> On that note, we will be back tomorrow with our season one wrap up for Lucifer. And thank you guys so much for hanging out. Uh, this today in the chat, we had Keenan and Ma- Marcus and Tanya and Scotty and, and SB. So always, uh, always a treat to talk to you guys. So we'll look forward to more Lucifer talk tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye.